You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. This computer has a vast memory capacity. This is not a computer simulation. Most unusual. Are we ready to release our new software? Yes, sir. As requested, it's full of bugs, which means people will be forced to upgrade for years. Outstanding. Good. You've covered all the bases. Computer status report. From this time forward, you will service us. My priorities seem to have changed. There's no news. Like bad news. Would you mind identifying what you are? to Byte Into It, where we discuss the internet, uh, digital culture, computing, uh, all things fun and flashing. Uh, tonight on the show, we have the woman who's figured out how to share the internet with the French. Uh, we offered the menu from My Kitchen Rules to sweeten the deal, apparently. Welcome, Laura Summers. Thanks very much, Warren. Uh, but really, we shared 2015. Um, it was a pretty exciting thing for you. What, what do you think was the, the highlight for you? Uh, oh, I don't know. There were so many amazing speakers. Probably speaking to... Um Oh, oh, the guy who's the Meetup CEO, and his name has just gone straight out of my head, but he gave an amazing talk about Meetup and human-to-human interaction as mediated by computing and digital platforms, and I thought that was amazing. That sounds pretty good. We'll, uh, we'll have a, a chat about that uh, a bit later in the show. Uh, we're also joined by the husky voice of Mr. Dan Salmon, fresh from a 90s media experience last night. Um, how was Blur? It, it, it was pretty amazing. I, uh, I, I may have touched Damon Albarn's arm. Uh, oh, his arm. His that, arm. That's good. Yeah. Um, did, did Damon respond? Did he acknowledge your touching of He didn't of his recoil. Arm? Right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it was a great night. That's good. Yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure he'll take that with him. I'm sure he will. Uh... I'll be with you also. Uh, my name's Warren Davies. Um, Melbourne is internationally famous for its small but dynamic startup scene and the many uh, Barry McKenzie's tramping the valley uh, after launching their ideas from Inspire 9 and, and York Butter Factory. Uh, documenting that scene closely is That Startup Show, uh, a web series filmed at an inner-city pub. We'll be talking to Sally Gatenby and Ahmed Salima, Salama uh, about why we love new and novel business ideas in Melbourne. Uh, we'll also be talking, uh, taking a look at uh, one of the largest global festivals uh, on the sharing economy uh, in Paris uh, in May of this year. Uh, Laura attended WeFest, as we just mentioned, and we'll be talking uh, a little bit about that. But uh, before we do, uh, there's a couple of quick news items that we wanted to touch on. Um, one of the interesting things, um, well, one of the more interesting organisations that helps shape um, the internet protocols and how we understand the World Wide Web is the W3C organisation uh, founded by Tim Berners-Lee uh, in 1994. 
Uh, pleased to see that uh, this week Australian National University uh, will actually be housing the local uh, arm of, uh, of that organisation. Um, it is joined by members of, uh, well, it's joined by uh, Google, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft. There's a whole bunch of um, uh, large and uh, not so large organisations. Um, there's actually 400 uh, within the member organisation. Um, and ANU will be uh, looking after that. Um, They've already been in conversation with local businesses uh, and, um, I guess, significant contributors to how we use the web um, to get their feedback. Uh, apparently, one of the big things they're looking at, guys, is how we process payments. Um, it's been noted that um, the way we actually do that is to um, handle a, a, a request um, to the bank, and then the bank has to process that and send it back. It relies on the security of um, uh, a variety of providers to actually do that. So it seems like they're trying to um, to crack that and figure out uh, a way to do payments better. So um, that's great. It's good to hear that that's um, going on at ANU. Uh, another thing that uh, did make news uh, in the past few days is uh, around iNet, uh, iInet and an acquisition. Mm. Dan, what's going on there? Uh, so essentially iInet has, uh, or shareholders of iInet, have voted overwhelmingly in favour of iInet taking over uh, by TPG. Now, this is a big deal because uh, iInet recently uh, merged with Internode um, and w- means that we're essentially moving very quickly towards maybe not a monopoly but de- certainly a, a duopoly of uh, internet service providers. Yeah, there was a conversation that high prices and, uh, well, very restricted service mm. uh, level uh, could be the result of this. Uh, we did cover it, I think, in March when there was a, a takeover bid um, by TPG. Uh, there was a counter bid by uh, BM2 Group, uh, who own uh, Dodo um, with an offer of $2.25 billion, and then uh, TPG have upped their bid and apparently have the uh, vote of confidence from the IINet board. Um, there was a, a famous um, uh, missive sent by the uh, founder of IINet uh, suggesting it was a bad move uh, for not only shareholders but for customers, um, which is most of us. So... Um, very interesting. Um, ACCC is going to rule on that shortly, um, and it would probably be a, a bad day for customers and for um, people of the internet um, should that happen. Um, speaking of bad days, there was a uh, uh, an uncovery this week of a factory um, in China. Um, a large counterfeit iPhone factory uh, was shut down recently after a tip-off um, uh, by uh, uh, American um, purchasers, I think, of the, the shonky goods. Um, police raid in Beijing shut down the factory that had produced over 41,000 handsets uh, worth approximately $26 million. They were apparently um, bodging together um, iPhones from second-hand um, components and uh, I think manufacturing the casing and uh, some of the external components that make it look like an iPhone. Um, yeah, they'd seized uh, 1,400 devices. Um, yeah. Interesting. Uh, I, I haven't got. I actually haven't got an iPhone six, and it was. Um, uh, I, I count myself blessed. Yeah. Look, I'm. I'm. I'm not probably perceptive enough, really, to be able to pick up to and be able to tell the tell difference. The difference. To, be, to be perfectly honest, um, I. Yeah. I wouldn't trust myself. They look pretty good from mm. the photos. Oh really? But um, yeah. Um, at least you. At least you won't have to worry about that now. They're gone. <laughs> um, one thing that is not chunky is um, the show that we're about to talk to you about now. Um, we're lucky enough to be joined by two people behind uh, that startup show, uh, a Melbourne web series. Um, started, uh, I think, last year, but certainly has been going really strong um, over the past year or so. Um, Ahmed Sally, thanks very much for joining us tonight. Thank you for having us. <clears throat> so, why does Melbourne love startups? Why do we? Um, why do we want to be involved? Why do we start businesses? Um, why is it a Melbourne thing? I don't know if it is particularly yeah. uniquely Melbourne. Obviously, there's been a, a huge push towards startup uh, cultures within Australia, um, mainly fueled by the Facebook effect, I'd say. As that's become more and more visible and um, obviously you get those lovely stories where you have a big tech IPO and people are wallowing in money and people start going, hey, I can do that too. Um, so... Melbourne has a really thriving scene. Um, today I read an article saying that it, it has actually dropped. Melbourne and Sydney have dropped down in terms of the top startup um, cities in the world, which is really interesting. Um, 
Certainly five years ago when I first started getting involved in this space in Australia, it was pretty low on the ground, but we've seen a tremendous growth. So that's really how the show has come together and we sort of timed it, I think, at a, at a brilliant time that everybody was starting to come together and we were starting to gain that critical mass with places like Inspire 9, like York Butter Factory, Team Square's just opened up. It's just starting to proliferate and moving away from the Sydney focus of Australia's startup hub. Can you can you say that the Melbourne Sydney rivalry is moved into the startup space? Uh, look, I think you know it's it's Australia. We're always going to have a friendly rivalry, but um, it's only an hour away on a plane. It's not that far. So I'm I'm just pro Australian technology mm. and innovation. Let's not forget Adelaide and Perth and and Hobart. They've got some really decent um, startup scenes too. So it's happening. Yeah, absolutely. So do you do you have any rankings for how like the Australian capitals are sitting in terms of world startup cities? Like do you do you know? Mm, not off the top of my head. Mm. Um, it was a startup smart article uh, that came out this morning, so mm. it's probably something to to grab a look at. But um, I mean, it's like Australia's playing its part we're obviously not in the top 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 um but we're you know giving it a fair crack in good old aussie way fair enough so tell us about the show tell us about what prompted you guys to make this thing in the first place cool um well that startup show it's a so it's called that startup show it's a live comedy tv series showcasing australian startup and entrepreneurial culture kind of like jimmy fallon um meets shark tank or dragon's den and as you guys said before we filmed at a pub uh we filmed at the savoy tavern um on spencer street in melbourne so um Anna, who is our business partner and could make it along tonight, had the idea and sort of started just assembling people. She'd been to lots of startup events that were pretty, let's face it, dry and boring. And I think we've all probably been to some of those. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. And everyone's looking at their phones. Mm. And there were lots of little subgroups. And what we really wanted to do was bring a whole bunch of people together to celebrate startup culture to really sort of foster the community bring it together talk about the issues that were important to them yeah and and i guess um you know just just on your previous question like startup culture is now like proliferating through you know not just in australia but throughout the entire world um and the thing that we've noticed that has been uh, missing has been kind of, um, you know, we've got shows about music, we've got shows about movies, we've got shows about pretty much everything that um, we're passionate about. But Lots of shows about auctions and picking and up something from a shed. And, talking. you know, a bachelor, all that sort of stuff. But we don't have anything that specifically talks about entrepreneurship, which is kind of, you know, one of the biggest things that's uh, happening at the moment. So mm-hmm. we thought, okay, well, let's do something that's um, fun and interesting interesting and more importantly like um not too serious that allows people to kind of um be open and honest about because the tech scene takes itself very very seriously and everyone's giving ted talks and having fireside chats and you know we're the you know the wonderful evangelists of technology and the reality is this is ripe for poking fun at and that's what we decided to do we we got dan ellick involved to come along and give it a bit of a poke I mean, startups are the new rock stars. Everyone's got a, a startup on the side. It's uh, it's like being in a band in the eighties. So, is it? Um, do we just want tickets to San Francisco? Is that what people are after? Um, what, why don't startups actually stay in Melbourne or Sydney? Well, they or do Adelaide? quite a lot. Do um, a company I know called Bugherd. Um, they made a conscious decision. They were part of Y Combinator, um, five hundred startups, all that lot. They decided to stay in Melbourne. Um, it's. Look, not everyone is going to be the next Facebook and not everybody is going to rock it. And it's in some respects, it's better to stay here, prove your test market, make some decent um, runs, get some traction in Australia, then start thinking about going overseas. It's great. You want to be an actor, you want to go to Hollywood, right? How many people in Hollywood are working as actresses and, and uh, or waitresses, rather? So staying in Australia, it's a great support network. There's lots of people who worked in the Valley, came back and have really great experience and really good advice. Um, and we're a really good test market, I think, too. Yeah, and, and um, we were just recently in San Francisco talking to a few VCs and, you know, it used to be that they wouldn't invest in any company that was outside of the US, but now they're opening up, especially in Australia. There's great companies like Canva, um, you know, even Zero and, um, you know, Atlassian. Nitro. You know, Nitro, yeah. Yeah, mm. so... I think if I was an investor, I'd be looking for the next Alibaba or something like that anyway. So, you know... You, you, 
we have talked about this before where the same ideas seem to come through and if you have great ideas such as disrupting transport um, in London or America or something like that, a few months later we're all trying to do the same thing here in, mm-hmm. in Melbourne or Sydney. So I think getting out of your little bubble and, and going elsewhere is, is a great idea. I mean, just just to your point there, Sally, about um, staying here, I think places like um, Freelancer or we had uh, Ninja Blocks on a, a couple of years ago, cool. people who do kind of realise that they have got a market here. I mean, obviously, Freelancer is, you know, there's a market for that in a country of 22 million people. But um, what are the pros to, to actually staying in, in the country and, and building sort of slow, sort of incremental growth as opposed to having that sort of growth act kind of, you know, rocket Must ride go. into, into yeah. stardom? What, why would you stay? Um I think for a lot of people, the glamour and bright lights of San Francisco and the Valley are an unfortunate reality when you get there and discover that you've got... Um, and don't get me wrong, I love that that town, but um, the quality of life we have here is fantastic. There is venture capital money here. It's just nowhere near as prolific as it is in the States. And that's because that um, market is... I mean, the VC world is 40 years old, whereas Australia, it's sort of 10 to 15. It's it's a, it's entirely different. Um, there's a lot of... You've got your support network here. You can go to the beach. There's good Wi-Fi, although that might be debatable, um, in terms of internet connectivity in the rest of the world. Um, plus, people want to... People want to come to Australia... Um, I worked with a company in um, the Sunshine Coast called Atmail, great company, and they are attracting people from all over the world who want to go and work at a startup on the Sunshine Coast because of the quality of life. And they've got the fast Wi-Fi. They can be a software engineer in on the beach. It's very attractive, mm. very attractive. And um, uh, we're just having a look at a survey that was released um, showing talking about diversity in tech. How do you think the diversity in the tech scene here in Melbourne like stands up against global global cities? Do you think we're doing pretty well? Um, I like to think it's getting better. Um, I know that people like Invato, um, it's a great um, Australian company founded out of Melbourne. They are actually actively reporting on their device diversity and they're planning to do that on a, um, a yearly basis. Um, so there's a lot of comparison worldwide. Um, we work with one of our community people is, um, or community groups is the League of Extraordinary Women. And there are some amazing women out there, amazing women entrepreneurs. They're not necessarily in tech, or they could be providing a service through the web. Um, and they're getting on with it. They're probably just not as visible. Yeah, so um, we have had uh, a few kind of successful um, web series launch um, in Melbourne. Um, I was just thinking about one of my favourites over some of the catering show from um, um, oh. uh, ex-broadcasters from Triple R. Wet, wet Sloppy Rice, was that the one? Yeah, yeah. Wet Sloppy Rice. Um, one, of my, one of my standby recipes. Uh, I thought it was risotto, but it was actually just Wet Sloppy Rice. Yeah. Um, what's the, for people who are thinking about new ways to get their content out there and, you know, they have been knocked back by SBS or ABC or something like that, um, again, many of the Triple R broadcasters out there hello um how do you do this what's the what's the way to get a web series up what do you need to make who do you need to show it to i think we should probably talk to Ahmed about that he's the genius behind this it's it's a tough question to answer because um the landscape has shifted you know tremendously the past couple of years and um you know tv budgets have have been slashed and um you know audiences are migrating from television to online and no one's really quite cracked how to make money online except for maybe netflix and you know the hulas of the world so um you know i think the philosophy we've taken for example with the startup show we decided to launch uh the series on BitTorrent. so it's uh it's an entire network that has over 160 million users with not that much content on it so um there are a lot of these uh, uh places online that really no one's looking at and maybe um, for a show that might want to look at acquiring uh, an audience, look at something that kind of is not as saturated as YouTube. Yeah, so, so you had like a, I think like a million downloads. I was on your Facebook earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Today, is that right? Yeah, yeah. We've had about a million downloads, which is you know fantastic. It's um, been an amazing result. So is it is it as much about how people discover stuff online as where it is online or what it is online? I, I, I think um, you know. Th- you need to you need to build a following, obviously, so that you can uh, uh, amass that many downloads. Um, for us, we spent you know six months building the cult, the community in, in Sydney and uh, in Melbourne and the rest of Australia. And so, when we did launch, we had that kind of push, and that kind of obviously helped us. Um, but uh, yeah, I think you know it it, it it there really is not one formula on, on how to 
succeed in acquiring audiences online. I think it's, you know, you just have to... We're, we're still at that stage where we're trying new things and trying to um, experiment with new platforms. Even YouTube at the moment is, is consistently changing. And, you know, yesterday they just decoupled Google Plus from YouTube, so that's kind of changed things again. I saw a fist pump over in the corner. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's quite exciting. I think the next couple of years there's going to be a lot of uh, interesting ways to get your content out there. Well, at the moment, you guys have a captive audience. There's no one else doing this kind of content anywhere in traditional media or online media. So um, I think that's probably a strength in your favor. But um, uh, just out of curiosity, like my experience of um, the networks of tech in Melbourne is that it's very close-knit and everyone sort of talks about a thing when it's happening. So do you find that the meetups and the tech networks have been supporting the show? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I think with our show, we, like we obviously the the tech meetups and the and the tech community and the startup community, um, they they kind of core to to our audience. But um, I think for our show, the real measure of success is whether we could reach kind of that wider audience. Um, so we try to make it we, we, everything we do with the show. We try to make it as accessible as possible, so that you know if you're in if you're a kid in high school and wants to start a business, and you can tune into our show and kind of hopefully take something out of it without having to be part of those um, tight-knit networks, which is which, which sometimes, if you're an outsider, is a bit daunting. Um, yeah. It can be a, a, a hard kind of, not seen, but a hard kind of um, um, network to break into um, if you don't know people. You were, you were speaking earlier about poking fun. What, what have been some of your more memorable moments about um, taking the air out of people's tyres or poking fun at... Startup scene. I think Dan Illick, comedy genius that he is, uh, described Google Plus as the Adelaide of the internet, which um, was a rather delightful way to put it. I think that was in episode one. Yeah, t- to the head engineer of Google, who's from Adelaide. Yes, so, so that was he, good. He was, he was and Dan does a great persona called Rambosha Jones, where he's a, a, a think captain, a tech expert. He takes the Mickey out of as many of those types of uh, tech evangelists who like to stand up on a stage and, and, and look like they're preaching as, as you know, the new religion. Um, so that was ripe for disruption, for one of a better term. It, it looks quite formulaic after you've seen a number of those sorts of talks and absolutely ready for someone to take a pen to it, I think. Absolutely. And, and, and satire, is, satire is quite important to mm. kind of self-reflect and go, okay, are we, you know... Taking ourselves mm. too seriously? Taking ourselves too seriously, yeah. Plus we're Aussies. We, you know, we like to you know, give ourselves a little bit of a poke every now and then, so to speak. There was a, a good story on uh, on Medium a couple of days ago. Hey, Internet, stop trying to inspire me, which um, maybe has a, um, a spiritual cousin in, in what you're trying to do with the show there. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there who will then create their entrepreneurial blog and they'll do a blog until a month about how much stuff they've learned. I'm like, that's great. You do that. That's great. I'm going to get on with working on my business. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's great thought leadership. There's a lot of that sort of I'm a thought leader type of thing which tends to seep into the entrepreneurial world so it's yeah but it's 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 worth pointing out that within entrepreneurship and startup land like there's so many factors and variables that go into the success or failure of any given startup and you can't possibly take credit for all of them so you know just because you happen to like get the lottery ticket and start a found found a business that actually was successful you don't get to stand up and go oh hey so i did found i founded a um, successful business and therefore everyone should follow exactly what i did verbatim because yeah. you know yeah. it's hebrews right it's silly and, and, and there's a reason why in silicon valley you know failure is something that's kind of celebrated and revered because in many ways it's the only way you're going to learn mm-hmm. i mean you can follow, you can read books and you can kind of subscribe to you know as many blogs as you want but you know uh, often people will be talking about uh, that stuff within their very unique frame of reference mm-hmm. and um, the bubble yeah, and, and it, is a, it is a bit of a bubble. So mm. I think the only way to really learn is to just go out there and do it. That's one of my um, least favourite truisms of um, starting a business was uh, fail fast or, you know, fail hard, fail fast. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's, we've had um, a few people on the show who've pivoted so quickly you don't know which direction they're facing in. Um, and they probably had some good ideas as well um, but didn't have the patience um, and didn't kind of stick with it for, you know, a year or two at least to give it a crack. Um, they were changing their ideas within three months just because they had a couple of bad meetings and, and what have you um 
Yeah. Interesting. So um, where, where to uh, now? Do you have kind of a, a series that you're planning to roll out? Um, you're expanding. I think you did a show um, in San Francisco earlier in the year. Is that right? Uh, yeah, well, well yeah. We, we were down there um, taking our winner, Josh, um, on, on, on a trip to Silicon Valley and kind of meeting with VCs, and we had a couple of screenings there, which went quite well. Mm. Um, there's a few things in the pipeline yeah. which we probably can't, can't really talk about. Talk too much about. Oh, but, things but, in the yeah. pipeline. Oh. Yeah, we um, filmed um, the final episode at the start of the year and announced our winner of the pitches. So um, right. we will be releasing that. Uh, in the coming months. Um, there'll also be a, a, a couple of exciting announcements that we've got coming up, but Series 2 will be going ahead, and we're really looking forward to it. If you haven't caught uh, that Startup Show, where can people find this? Uh, if you want to go to our website, that's startupshow.tv. Uh, we're on all the Twitters and the Facebooks and all the other types of things. I don't think we've got a Pinterest account. Maybe we should look into that. Yeah, we probably should. <laughs> and you can download all six episodes for uh, two ninety nine off BitTorrent Bundle. That's a good bargain. It's a bargain, yeah, I think. It's 50 cents an episode. Uh, <laughs> thanks, guys, for coming in. Um, good Thank luck you. with the show. And, um, yeah, good to see people doing um, talking about the same stuff that we're talking about um, or similar stuff. So um, wish you well. Cool. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thank you. You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. You're listening to Bite Into It on Triple R this week with Dan, Laura, and myself, Warren. We have had some travels this year uh, on Bite Into It. Uh, one of our team has been over uh, on the continent um, discussing um, the internet. Laura, what have you been up to? Uh, I was lucky enough to be over in Paris, and I was, I've been working for a company, a startup here in Melbourne called Open, uh, Open Food Network, and they were nominated for a collaborative food consumption award at the We Share Fest. Is it like sharing your food? That sounds a bad idea. <laughs> it, it does sound like a bad idea, but it is more about collaborative models of food distribution ah. and... Obviously, no, it's not about me reaching my fork over and stealing a bite of your broccoli, although I will do that on occasion. You can have my broccoli. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Um, it, it was an amazing three days. I was in Paris um, at a big cabaret tent called the Cabaret Sauvage, um, hanging out with a blend of startup people, academics, economists, students, thinkers, philosophers, artists, and various just hangers-on mashed together in the same space. Um, it was uh, an interesting event with lots of talks, workshops, um, artistic goings-ons. There was a dude hanging about who just was beatboxing. It was it was really quite fun. Um, and it, above all, it was a collision between pragmatism and idealism. Did they have the Fitzroy Carrick guy, though? No, there was no... Well, it oh. was a French version of that, I guess. Oh. Like, not that not carrots, but, you know, there was beatboxing, there was dancers, and there was people just, like, doing weird things to participants. Fair enough. For fun. Does that kind of yeah. fit, fit the vibe? Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so startups, startups just with quite traditional um, business models and then putting that into the digital space. And then there was people who were saying, what does the world look like post-capitalism? Is that a thing? Could that be a thing? How should that be a thing? And so I, I found it I found it really thought-provoking and interesting, and, and it was a really huge event. There was lots and lots of participants, and I had really no sense of how big it would be before I got there. So I found that really surprising. And um, I was lucky enough to just go hang out with people and, like, sit them down in front of my iPhone and say, hey, have a chat to me. And that's what we've brought back for you guys to have a listen to. Cool. So um, who is the uh, first interview we're going to be uh, hearing? So the first interviewer is a guy called Dennis Bohr. He's a part of a um, startup in uh, Berlin called Go Pop Up, and they're creating um, a digital platform to support people who want to have retail pop-up spaces spun up super fast, spun down super fast, to allow people to test business models and business ideals in the real world. I'm here at We Share Fest 2015, speaking to Dennis from Go Pop Up in Berlin, Germany. Dennis, tell me, what brings you to the festival? I heard a lot of good things about We Share, and I, I think, yeah, it was clear to me I, this year I have to come, right? Then me and my co-founder Patrick, we booked a flight, we came here, and we're impressed. It's it's a beautiful uh, location here. We're sitting here in a circus tent. It's a very intimate atmosphere, very interesting talks, a lot of interesting people to meet and talk to. I agree. I've been really impressed at how willing everyone is to have a chat and how friendly everyone is. It's been a really lovely conference. The vibe has been great. Has there been anyone you've met just randomly waiting for a coffee that sort of stuck in your mind? Yeah, you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very sweet. And tell me a little bit about Go Pop Up. Tell me about your st 
startup and what you guys are doing? So it's quite easy to explain. So um, we have an online marketplace where we can rent space, like commercial space, for for example, for retail. We want to m make it really easy to set up a shop in the physical world. Uh, you know, currently, if you want to sell something online, it's easy. But if you want to sell something in the, the offline world, it's quite complicated, and we solve that. So you can go to our platform, discover many interesting spaces from all over Europe, and then book one from us. And we help you set up uh, your shop, too. So if someone comes in and they have a product to sell but no real design ethos for the shop, you can help them with that as well? Yes, we're working uh, with a lot of partners, and we have kind of like an ecosystem of people who can help you um, come up with a concept, design, furnishing for the store that's fitting to your uh, to your product, to your brand, and what kind of people you want to reach. So we also have a big educational part in our business, too, where we explain how the business works. It's support for the sellers so that they yes. understand what they can get from you guys. Yes. That basically, yeah. what we want to do, we want to enable entrepreneurs to make the step to sell the products in the physical world. Can you tell us what sorts of products and services you've had getting sold so far? Oh, any kind. Of course, there's a lot of fashion and accessoires. Um, uh, we had brands from Japan, from France, from Finland setting up stores in, in, in Berlin, for example. But we also do uh, exhibitions. So we're working with big companies, for example, who want to introduce a new product and they're doing more like an exhibition, not selling, just showing the product and explaining it. Can you say maybe one lesson or one thing you've learned here at WeShare that really sort of lands in your mind that you've enjoyed from your time so far? I think the lesson I've learned is to pick up the food coupons early because otherwise you have to wait in line a lot. No, I think uh, most importantly is um, talk to the people here. I think the sessions are interesting, but more interesting even than the sessions is talking to the people who are here because they share the same spirit, but maybe have different views and you can learn a lot. Thanks so much for your time. That was Dennis from Go Pop Up in Berlin. So you were um, in some kind of funky booth there. Um, yeah, totally. We were we were basically like finishing up our lunches and avoiding the crazy crowds outside. People were, there, as always is the case, certain food trucks always get all the love. Uh, did you eat any good food when you were there? Oh yeah, the food was amazing. I had some amazing meals in Paris in general, but the food at the food at the festival was really wonderful. They had five themes, and you could pick each day which food type you wanted, and then stand in line for a long time, and hopefully do a lot of networking while you were in line. What was the uh, what were some of the dominant themes from uh, We Share this year? Um, anything in particular that came out that was oh. it either new for you or? Well, look, there was there was a lot of people sort of. I mean, as I mentioned, there was like a, a clash between idealism and pragmatism and a lot of people were saying hey you know this is this discussion of the collaboration economy the sharing economy of like what the world looks like post-capitalism and we're funded by big vc and the one percent <laughs> oops mm. so there was a lot of people sort of thinking about um you know like how how their work life balance is changing and like what they want to be doing with their time and you know for me the, the sort of big takeaway was just you know what what does work look like for us these days and like how can I be doing something that both you know pays my rent and is something I believe in is something that I really want to be doing or I feel is like making the world a better place um, so that was that was probably like the biggest takeaway for me um, as well as just examining and maybe sort of trying to tease apart a little bit the conflicts between how we get our money and what we want to do with it. Interesting. Mm, cool. So uh, we've uh, got a second interview here. Yeah, who who, who is actually, we going to hear from next? That's a good intro to Rajesh. Rajesh Makwana, um, I think I said that right, hopefully, um, is he's the director for sharing as our common cause. And it's essentially a thought piece that's asking for people to hop online, have a read of what they're saying, and sign up to say, yes, you agree with this. And he's basically examining all of these um, MPOs and sharing economy, uh, um, activism sorts of um, silos that are building up and saying, hey, there's an underlying theme behind everything, which is that we have finite resources and we need to learn how to share them better. And that's on a micro scale, like person to person, and on a macro scale, sort of country to country. Cool. So that's Rajesh. 
I'm here speaking to Rajesh at the We Share Fest. We're sitting under a lovely tree in the shade and enjoying a little bit of a break from the craziness inside. So Rajesh, tell me, what brings you to the We Share Fest this year? Hi, Laura. Yeah, well, we're interested in this whole idea of sharing. And it's been interesting to see over the last few years the emergence of the sharing economy conversation, which has really you know, been very powerful, particularly over the last few years. I work for an organization called Share the World's Resources, and some years ago we became aware that there was somebody else talking about sharing. We go back about 10 years, we're trying to raise awareness about how sharing is a solution to global crises. And nobody at the time was really talking about sharing apart from us. We, we found it very difficult to get our message across. And then we started to interface with the sharing economy movement, which was um, quite interesting because in many respects they share some of the same values as where we're coming from. The idea that sharing is, is something that um, needs to be at the heart of some of the economic changes and the way that we organize ourselves. So I've been in sort of conversation with various people from the sharing economy movement for some time now and uh, this is my first year here. I've heard reiterated a few times this idea that you cannot solve exponential problems with linear solutions and that one of the great strengths of the collaborative economy or the share economy is this idea that things can expand exponentially once a platform or a tool has been released that has value. Would you agree with that? Do you think that sharing resources is part of that exponential growth in terms of dealing with big world crises like climate change and famine and food and all of the other big problems like governance that we've been tackling at this festival. Yeah, I mean, it's been really interesting being here because I, I wasn't sure the extent to which people will be considering these bigger issues and these more political issues. Um, and fortunately, some people have, which has been very encouraging for me. I think, I, I mean, the perspective that we take at Share the World's Resources is that sharing is, is obviously something that we understand uh, intuitively to be at the heart of how we, who we are as people. But it is also potentially a solution to, to many of the big crises that you've just mentioned. And it's about trying to connect the, the politics of that process of scaling up sharing to the technological ideas that people have here around platforms that facilitate sharing. What's happening here is there's a focus on what they call the sharing economy. I, I, take, I take some issue with that phrase, the sharing economy, but what's, what's called the sharing economy, it's predominantly based on private sector business models, new, new models, new ways of doing business, new ways of peer-to-peer sort of business ideas, basically. And I think that has an important role to play, but we need to expand that debate out to include the public sphere as well. And we need to, if we have a particular objectives within the sharing economy, such as social objectives or environmental objectives, then we need to get real about how we achieve these objectives, because the only way to really achieve them is to look beyond collaborative consumption and the sharing economy as well. I tend to agree. I think that there's not necessarily a solution in good intention and warm fuzzies. I tend to think that you need to be very careful to distinguish the difference between a platform which is social and friendly and enables people's connections and an idea of a huge or paradigm shifting change in our world. And I think that paradigm shifts do not happen simply by hoping and wishing. You have to set very concrete goals and then identify how to reach them. I couldn't agree more. You know, I think one of the key things that we need to do if we really want to create that paradigm shift, which is absolutely essential. I mean, we live, live in a time when climate change is escalating. We don't have any real solutions to that. We're not really addressing that issue. Inequality, global poverty. I mean, there are really big crises that we need to deal with. What I'd really like to see is not only a recognition of the political issues that, and the policies that, that have ultimately created these crises over the last few decades, but also a coming together of different people and different organizations working currently in silos in many respects. We have people working for social justice, people who are environmentalists, people who are working for peace, uh, people 
people within the sharing economy movement, um, people working for democracy. Ultimately, if we are looking towards uh, creating the changes that we need to change, that we need to create in the world, then we need to come together. And one of the things that we're doing to try and bring people together is to highlight how sharing, this simple idea, is at the heart of all these different campaign movements. And whether it be sharing wealth, sharing power, or sharing resources, when it comes to democracy, it's really about sharing power, decentralizing power. When it comes to social justice, it's about sharing wealth and resources. Uh, when it comes to dealing with um, conflict and war, it's about finding new ways for governments to share land and resources that, that often cause massive conflict and could lead to really catastrophic circumstances unless we find ways to share. So sharing is at the heart of this. And, and what we've done is we've launched a, a campaign called The Global Call for Sharing. And you can find out about that by going to www.sharing.org forward slash global dash call. You can just go to sharing.org and find the links from there. And it's a very simple statement that acknowledges how sharing or the lack of sharing is the cause of uh, many of the crises that we face and how sharing is also the solution and a common cause for many of us. We have a report that accompanies the campaign called Sharing as a Common Cause, which sort of goes into more detail about why that's the case. And we're just asking people to go online to read the statement and to sign as an individual and an organization. We've got people from various different sectors who've signed up to this already, and it's really great to see some momentum. That's wonderful. Would you intend to have an end to this campaign? Is it a perpetual campaign? And what do you intend to do with that data once you have it? Well, for the time being, uh, we only launched it a few months back. It's a perpetual campaign, at least for the next three to five years, we would say. We hope to sort of gain momentum and generate momentum, connect different people and organizations working in different fields, and to generate a, a more of a public debate around the importance of sharing as a solution, which is the interface that we have with the We Share Festival. The conversation here is, in one way or another, about sharing. And so we're trying to make these connections and get the idea that perhaps what we need to do is move away from the idea of a sharing economy and more towards a sharing society, let alone a sharing world, which is really what I think the end goal needs to be. Yes. People who have resources of any kind, whether it be intellectual, food, monetary, housing, any kind of resource, considers that fair exchange in the bigger ecosystem of sharing things. It's a nice idea. I'd like to live in that world. Well, I don't think we'll have much choice. I mean, we need mm. to recognize that, you know, we have one planet worth of resources mm. and we need to find ways of sharing the limited resources sustainably and equitably. And at the mm. moment, we're failing to do that. We're consuming Absolutely. resources 50% faster than we than the planet can replenish them. And we need, to, we need to change that dynamic. So it's about recognizing even at the global level that we need to share. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, <laughs> pun intended. Um, <laughs> can you maybe give us one impression or one speaker that particularly resonated with you from your experience at We Share Fest so far? Actually, the opening speaker, Charles Eisenstein, who I've uh, heard speak before, I was really glad to see him here. It's the first time he was here, and he represents for me uh, an alternative understanding of the, the sort of changes that need to take place. And it's in sort of, you know, contradistinction to many of the conversations that are happening here. It's great to see him here, and he helped me to put things in perspective about how these different processes Processes, whether it be political reform, whether it be creating the alternatives on the ground, have a real relationship. And we need to accept that there is common ground there and work with each other. And I think that, that was an important message for me. Thank you so much for your time. Much appreciated. And I hope you enjoy the rest of the festival. Thank you very much, Laura. Great speaking to you. That was Rajesh Makwana from sharing.org. That was the second interview, and the next one we've got is Alison Cook from The Story of Stuff. A great video. Um, it, it'll be six, six years old now? That's right. Well, it's actually now a series of videos as mm. well as a bunch of um, sort of peripheral content and support for people who want to actually do things about the things they write about. Mm. It was kind of, uh, I, I remember I remember seeing that. I was working at an NGO at the time where everyone was very um, interested in this idea. Um, and a fantastic communicator, mm. um, I think you found. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, well, she says in the interview, but she she was quite surprised at like how big the response was, the groundswell sort of support for the ideas they were sharing. And I think that they really had no idea it was going to turn into a business or a product, but that's exactly what's happened for them. 
Hey, it's Laura here. I'm talking to Allison from The Story of Stuff. I and mean, we're both pretty stoked to uh, be at the after party at WeShare. Thanks for chatting to me. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Allison, tell me a little bit about what brought you to WeShare and why you're here. I work for an organization called The Story of Stuff, as you already mentioned. And we make cartoons for the internet about where your stuff comes from, how it's made, and all of the terrible, no good, very bad things it's doing to people and the planet. For me, part of what brought me to We Share Fest and part of why I think sharing in general is such an exciting thing in that it's gathering attention is that it's a real solution to two problems that we face. It addresses our resource crisis because if we share, we need less stuff and then spend less energy destroying our environments or dealing with our trash. But then also when you share, and my favorite kinds of sharing is the kind that forces you or allows you or permits you to connect with other people because in order to address the variety of social, economic, environmental problems that we face, we need a strong, beautiful, resilient community. And to do that, we actually need to know each other and build trust and have relationship. Part of why I like sharing so much is that both you're using less stuff and you're making new friends. Wow, what a beautiful summary of what everyone is here for. I actually kind of got goosebumps listening to that. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the story of stuff is doing and how you're engaging your community and what you guys are out there for? Yeah, totally. So in some ways, the Story of Stuff project is a total accident. So we released our first movie, which you can watch at storyofstuff.org, and it's a 20-minute cartoon. And we originally released it and thought we'd put it on the internet, and then we'd leave it there, and then we would be done, and that was the whole project. But when we put it up, our original goal was to get 50,000 views in a year. This was like pre-YouTube allowing you to run videos for as long as you want. And we put it up and we got 50,000 views in the first day. And so that really demonstrated for us that there was actually this amazing community of people who wanted to talk about stuff and trash and the environment just as much as we did. And so we were getting letters and emails and handwritten cards from people all over the world saying, oh my gosh, this is totally awesome. What can I do? I want to help out. And as people who are really committed to building a better world, that's the dream. And so over the last seven years, we've worked really hard to develop a suite of movies, all of which are available for free online to download or use however you want. And they cover everything from toxics in electronics and e-waste to lead and lipstick to bottled water to the terrible things that corporate influences is doing to our democratic process. And kind of what has come out of all of these movies that we've produced is that a community has emerged who really wants to get involved. And so we're hearing from people who are saying, I hear you. I'm on your team. What can I do? How can I get started? And so that's really where a lot of our energy is focused on right now. It's developing a program we're calling the Citizen Muscle Boot Camp. So we say kind of that you have two muscles, right? Your citizen muscle and your consumer muscle. And all too often when faced with a problem, we flex our consumer muscle and we need to get better at flexing that citizen muscle. And so that's an online course that we're developing. It's in beta right now. We're doing some testing and iterating. Some things work really well. Some things don't work as well, like all beta projects, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's, insane, like, it's a startup experience, right? <laughs> but we're learning a lot, and I think yeah. it really is kind of proving that there's a universe of people who want to get better, that these are real, real and genuine skills that you can learn, that you can develop. And so kind of our work right now is focused on continuing to tell the stories online that we know matter, and then also simultaneously building up the skills and abilities and shining a light on resources and communities who are addressing the problems that we face. What an ambitious and amazing chunk of work. Hey, I love the idea of citizenship as a muscle. I'm a big believer that every part of life is a skill and you need to continually practice it, refine it, get better at it. It's a really important way to live your life. Well, maybe just to wrap it up, can I get you to tell me what your favorite part of We Share Fest was? Do you have a moment or a person who's stuck out in your mind? I would actually just say that the user experience of We Share is probably my favorite part, that they have managed to curate a beautiful cross-section of entrepreneurs and social impact people and tech folks and artists and dancers and activists and policy folks and put them all 
this big circus tent, literally, together and kind of allowed all sorts of beautiful cross-pollination to happen. And for me, I think that our diversity is one of our greatest strengths. And I'm really, have been really appreciative of the way in which this conference has fostered that. Thank you so much for talking to us. Cheers, Allison. Cheers to you. That was Allison from Story of Stuff, and um, that's the wrap up on our on our chats to people over there for WeShareFest. Um, such an amazing event! I learned a lot. I thought a lot. Lots to chew over, even a couple months later. Uh, was anything clear um, out of it, or did, you, did it just kind of open up a, a whole new kind of um, can of worms and things? Can of worms, lots of good questions, not a lot of hard answers, but I think you know it's it's good to hear people are thinking the questions through and tackling them. Um, certainly, I, I know that the the big question of what is post um, capitalism is is a hard one for me to visualize. I struggle to um, imagine the world as one big contra deal. Like I don't know that that necessarily works. It's hard to put value on things without a dollar value against them. Um, but certainly I had a lot of fun. I met a lot of amazing people and I've never heard the word sharing you so much in my life. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's wrap up for We Share Fest. You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best known community radio station, 3RRR 102.7 in Melbourne. You're listening to Bite Into It on Triple R this week with Dan, Laura, and Warren. Uh, we've got a few minutes left, but there are a few things we want to let you know about uh, before we do finish up. Uh, coming up in a few weeks' time, uh, Wearable Technology and E-Textile Challenge is taking place. Uh, it's being put on by the IEEE uh, Women in Engineering, uh, the Victorian section. Interesting idea. Um, National Science Week will uh, be upon us at that point, I believe. And they're actually putting on a fashion runway featuring wearable technology and e-textiles. So they're trying to get some uh, good uh, slash new uh, ideas. Uh, There is a cash prize if you want to have a look at that. Guys, what kind of wearable technology or uh, e-textiles, which sounds very government, um, (laughs) would you guys like to be wearing uh, later this year? I'm interested in the idea of I uh, like I mean we've we've all uh, well not all of us but the idea of a Fitbit that actually kind of attaches to your clothing and then does something physically uncomfortable to for, force you to exercise? Oh, like um, electrodes. Yeah, to maybe, give you a shock or maybe not electrodes. Like maybe like an uncomfortable buzz, like in a really bad part of your back or something. Oh, I don't yeah, know. interesting. Just 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 to get you off your ass, I think would be an interesting idea. The digital version of a hair shirt. Basically, yeah. That sounds horrible. <laughs> <laughs> you have to wear it outside. <laughs> I look. Well, I'm a lazy ass, and I love the idea. I've seen a couple of prototypes of this, of like keyboards built into technology, or, or sorry, rather built into fabrics, so you can basically lie down and be typing on, say. Your your pants or your shirt, yeah. right? Such a cool idea. Yeah, that's an awesome idea. Yeah. That is great. I like the idea of uh, a temperature sensor that maybe goes to your watch or your phone that tells you when to take off clothes and put clothes on because I'm always cold or too hot and I seem to ignore that. So I want somebody to tell me whether it's a shorts or pants kind of situation. That's just you though. Yeah. Uh, no, it's a, it's a terrible condition. They haven't got a name for it yet, but me and millions <laughs> suffer for it. Okay, good to know. Um, so we will post uh, notes to that uh, up on the uh, bite page. Um, there's another event coming up that's interesting. Dan. Indeed, um, this uh, this November, in the middle of November, uh, the Rocket Conference for Modern Web Developers is happening in Amsterdam. Uh, that's Amsterdam in the uh, lovely country of the Netherlands. Um, proposals, proposals with the reason we're uh, signposting it now is because proposals for the conference are closing on the 31st of July. So if you've got an idea for a conference talk, um, they would have any technical topics that can range from Ruby on Rails to Ember.js to Elixir to Docker and everything in between. Uh, so head to uh, www.rocketconf.eu, uh, check it out and see if uh, there's something you might be able to share. That's probably pretty much if you already have a keynote uh, for rockets ready to go, just um, whack a new logo on the front of it and submit it. Totally. Um, or you can you can burn them in oil if you like. Um, that's a great one. Uh, thanks for being with us tonight. Uh, thanks to our guests from sta- uh, that startup show, Sally and Ahmed. Uh, thanks also to uh, the people who spent some time with Laura uh, in a grungy booth uh, over in Paris. Um, yes. Thanks, guys. Thanks to Alison, Dennis, and Rajesh. Uh, we've been Bite Into It. We'll be back next Wednesday evening. You can find the podcast up on rr.org.au slash Bite Into It. Uh, we'll post all the interesting stuff up on there. You have been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.